Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. Well, we are in a series that we've called Underdog, and if you were with us last week, we spent some time looking at David and Goliath, and we talked about uh, this understanding that in the world's eyes, as you talk about David and Goliath, you see David as the underdog, you see Goliath as this, this insurmountable giant, but as we talked about it last week, when we are a child of the Most High King, when we are believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are not the underdog. And in that story, David was not the underdog. Actually, Goliath was the underdog in that story. And so my hope over these next few weeks is for you to uh, bolster your faith and come to a place where you begin to understand that if he is for me, who can be against me? And no matter what the issue is that you're dealing with, whatever the the problem that you find yourself uh, faced with, that God is bigger, he is able, put your hope and your trust in him. And that's that's really the main point of where we're going in these next few weeks. Uh, I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4. We said this last week as well. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you fight for us, that God, you go before us, you're behind us, you're to the side. Lord, you are with us. And Lord Jesus, I love that Pastor Seth said that in our weakness, that's when you're strong. And so God, you're not calling us to be stronger. You're calling us to lean more on you. And so Father, as we learn that and as we, as we put that into practice, I pray, Father God, that we will continue to see your victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to take a moment right now, and I want to, we're going to talk about Samson uh, today, but before we do that, I do want to give a little bit of a warning. Um, Samson is an interesting character, and there's some parts in there that if you have young children in the room, plus the testimony that we're going to share later on, uh, if you have young children in the room, uh, we have amazing kids programs at the other end. Uh, as I read scripture as an adult, I re- I'm reminded of my Sunday school days and the little flannel gram and all that stuff. And there's a lot of things that those little sweet ladies didn't tell us about the Bible stories, uh, probably on purpose. Um, And so we're going to look at some scripture today. And uh, before we get into this, basically what what we have before we get to this portion of scripture is that Samson's mom was unable to become pregnant. And so there's an angel of the Lord that appears to her. In Judges chapter 13, verse 5, it says this, You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin, uh, he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. And so today I want to look at this for just a moment because for those of you who are unfamiliar with what that meant to take a vow of being a Nazarite, there's a few things that go with that. Obviously, it says not to cut his hair, but also with that, it meant that there was no alcohol and no even eating of the fruit of a vine. So he couldn't have grapes, he couldn't eat any of that stuff. He, couldn't, he was not supposed to ever touch a dead body, whether that was an animal or a human. And then, uh, and then on top of that was no haircuts. And so... Uh, So his mom makes this vow, says, yes, I'll agree to that. And and she gives birth to Samson. And from the very time that he's born, he has all of these restrictions in place. And so as we look at this, what I need you to understand is that's a pretty big commitment, but there's a big mission that God has for him. So 
If you can imagine the pressure of that mission, it's too big for one person. If they try to do it on their own, they would fail. But the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord was with Samson. And for us, what we need to realize is that's such an important part of our faith journey that we are not walking this out alone, that we are not called to just step into hard situations and have to fight for ourselves. But the scripture that we started this with said that God will fight for us. Can I tell you that your mission is too big for you to accomplish on your own? If the mission that you feel like you have for your life is something that you can handle on your own, then it is not a God mission. God will give you a mission that will make you fearful, that will make you worry, that will make you wonder, because then you need him. You need him to step into your story. So let's continue to look at this story in Judges chapter 14, verse 1. One day when Samson was in uh, Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected, isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all Israelites that you could marry, they asked? Why must we go to a pagan uh, Philistine to find your wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me, she looks good to me. I wanna stop for just a moment here because what you also need to understand is here God has said, I'm gonna set you apart. And the reason, the mission statement for his life was he was set apart to rescue Israel from the Philistines. And now Samson goes and he finds himself a woman that looks good to him and she is a Philistine. So In this moment, Samson decides that he's going to set his own mission statement for his life. Many of us are guilty of doing this as well. Samson's mission statement right there is get her for me. She looks good to me. And we often overlay our mission or our wants over what God wants. Some of you have told me, you've come up to me and you said, hey, I named my year. This is what I feel like God is telling me to name my year. And that is amazing. And I'm excited to see what God does through that. Others of you, maybe you're still struggling trying to figure out what to name your year. But the thing I'm going to say to you is this. Make sure that God is naming your year and you're not naming your year. You can name your year all kinds of things that will make you happy. But you need to find what God says about your year. And when you do that, now all of a sudden you're allowing him to set the mission statement for your life. So Samson follows uh, the pattern of his people, which is do whatever is right in your own eyes. And when it crashes, then you run back to God. Some of you know that pattern very well. Some of you live that pattern. You, you live in such a way where God is super important to me. And then once everything is going good, then I'll just kind of, I'll set my own course And then when things get bad again, then I'm going to turn, I'm going to go back to God again. And that's kind of where Samson is in this moment. And Samson does this, and and can I tell you, it's amazing to me how much grace God shows to Samson throughout his life. Because he, he allowed him to set his own course and to do things outside of God's will. Can I tell you that you can be outside of God's will and still see success for a while? For a while, Samson continues to see success. He is supposed to be different, and and that's what gets us in trouble when we make our own mission statement because God has set a mission statement for his church. He said we are to be in this world but not of this world, that we are to look different, that we are to act different, that we we are to pursue things that make God happy and not pursue things that make me happy. And so 
uh, as we proceed in the story, the wedding plans begin, and, uh, and we've, we see that Samson is walking through this vineyard. Now, again, you know that it, one of the restrictions is, is he is not to eat or drink of grapes. But now he finds himself walking through a vineyard, and my question is, why put yourself into a position where there's something that you know you're not supposed to have? We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Judges chapter 14, verse five says this. Samson went down to uh, Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of uh, Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. So he tore the lion apart with his bare hand as, as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Now, I'll stop there for a moment because I find that scripture very interesting. Because a lion comes roaring at him, and the Bible says that he tore it in half, much like you would a young goat. Is that a normal thing that happened? We see that he's strong. We understand that. And I grew up, I grew up in my mind, and maybe it was the flannel grams that my Sunday school teachers had. Um, I grew up thinking that he was just some big muscular guy. And maybe he wasn't because the Bible says the reason he was able to do the things that he did is because the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now, back in my day, I was thinking of him as like, you know, a young, strong Sylvester Stallone type. But maybe he was more of a Pee Wee Herman type. I don't know. A lot of those are aging me right there. Both of those references, I just aged myself considerably, but some of you are with me and I appreciate you. Judges 14, verse eight. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lions. Now, again, he's back in the vineyard. He keeps going back in the vineyard. He keeps going to a place where there are things he shouldn't have that he shouldn't participate in. And he goes and he's walking through the vineyard and he says, he, it says that he turned aside and he looked at the lion's carcass and he saw that there was a swarm of bees and some honey. So he scooped out the honey with his hands and he ate it as he went along. Now, there are some real problems with this. He's not supposed to touch a dead body. That's number one problem. But the second thing is he's eating honey out of a dead carcass of a lion. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Um, it's wrong on many different levels. But Samson claims to be one thing, but he lives however he wants. Samson says that he is this, but, but his actions are whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And, and I believe that we live in a time and a season right now where there are those of us who are called by his name that we say one thing, but we live a different way. And so as, as we see this, he's walking, he's walking where he shouldn't have gone. He puts himself into a position that he should never have been in. And then all of a sudden now, he, 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 he touches a dead carcass, which he's not supposed to do. And inside of that, what I want you to understand is from his very beginning of his story, God said, you are not an underdog. I have you. I have plans for you. I have dreams for you. I have desires for you. But Samson, in his disobedience, we'll see as we, as we progress with his story, Story, that he continues to put himself in underdog status, even though that's never what God intended for him. So they're getting ready for the wedding. As the feast continues, the Bible says that, that no one would be his groomsman and, uh, and probably because he's marrying a Philistine. So even if he had friends back home, they don't want to be a part of it. 
Or maybe it was just because he was arrogant. Maybe he was, I don't know why he didn't have any friends. But they assigned 30 men to be groomsmen for him. In fact, it, in, fact in some translations, they say they hired them. Um, that's, that's a sad place to be in life. Um, but as we look at this, we see that, that then Samson begins to antagonize them. And he says, hey, I've got a riddle. And if you figure out this riddle, then, then within the next seven days, then I will, I will buy all of you a new suit. And if, if you don't figure out the riddle, then in seven days, then you all have to buy me a new suit. And so the riddle is out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. And so three days pass and they can't figure it out. And so they go and they, these men go and they, they find his fiance and they say to her, listen, we need you to uh, get the answer to this riddle for us. And she protests a little bit, but then they said, if you don't, we're going to burn you and your family at your house down and we're gonna kill y'all. Um, real subtle. Uh, and so she does, she, she meets with Samson after that and she says, she says, sweetheart, if you love me, right? And, and he, he says, nah, nah I'm, not, I'm not telling you the answer. But she persists and so he does. He tells her what the answer is. And, and so now we're in Judges chapter 14, verse 18, and it says this, before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Somebody need to do some premarital counseling with Samson. Had you not plowed with my heifer. So Samson is not winning friends or influencing people at this point in his life. Um, the story goes on and we see that he doesn't have the resources to pay off the debt. And so um, Samson does something interesting. He goes and he kills 30 people and he takes their clothes <laughs> to pay off his debt. This is an interesting story, right? The, the, I don't remember these parts when I was in, 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 in Sunday school. Um, he's vengeful, he's angry, and now he returns to visit his new wife at her father's house, and when he does that, the dad is there, and he goes, hey, I'm sorry, I thought you weren't happy with the arrangement, so I actually gave her to your best man. That was never in the flannel gram thing. They, uh, they, they never talked about that. Judges chapter 15, verse three. Samson said to them, this time I have the right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and he caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and the standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. Now, that's how he decides to get even. He goes and he catches 300 foxes, which I don't know how long that takes, but that seems like that's a pretty big task. And then he ties them together and he puts a torch between them and he sends them out into the fields to burn all the fields down to get even because his, his in-laws were all killed by these guys. 
So the Philistines then uh, declare war against Israel. And Israel essentially says, hey, whoa, 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 we don't really even like this guy that much. And all of this stuff becomes a huge mess. Now, we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at, at his story. In fact, next weekend, we're going we're gonna to conclude his story. But, but I, wanted to, I wanted to get to this point because I want to make a point. I think that there's something so important as we look at God's word, as we break it down into little chunks, we can maybe have a little bit better understanding of, of what, how we apply this to our lives. So we see a man whose birth was a miracle, whose life was set apart, and God set parameters for him. Why? Because he said, I have a big vision for you. And because I have a big vision for you, I'm going to set you apart and I'm going to set you up to succeed. God said, this is the guy who's going to set my people, is going is is to win against the Philistines. He's going to be the one that's going to make it so that all of this stuff that happens between Israel and the Philistines will not happen any longer. And so Samson, the beginning of the story starts innocently. And if you were to read it and not really pay attention, you wouldn't think twice about it. But Samson, first of all, he's walking through a vineyard, a place he never should have been, going towards a place he should never go. He's heading towards the enemy, if you think about it. If the Philistines are the enemy, we see that Samson has put himself into a position where he's saying, not only do I want to go over there, I want to see what's happening in that, in the other place, but I'm going to walk through another place that I never should be. So as we look at scripture, what I need you to hear from me today is this, that, that because Samson put himself there, it set a chain of events into motion that changed everything. Had he not walked through the vineyard, he would not have been attacked. Had he not been attacked, he wouldn't have killed the lion. Had he not killed the lion, there wouldn't have been a carcass with honey in it. It's interesting that, that something so sweet and alluring was found in something so disgusting that he shouldn't have touched. For many of you, God's going to speak to you through that. Because there's some, something so sweet, but it's in something that's disgusting that you shouldn't touch. So take away walking through the vineyard and killing the lion and touching the lion and eating the honey. You've got, to, you've got to see that had he not done any of those things, there wouldn't have been a riddle. And if there wasn't a riddle, then there wouldn't have been a bet. And if there wasn't a bet, then there wouldn't have been debt. And if there wasn't debt, then Samson wouldn't have been in a place where he had to fulfill the debt. So much destruction started with walking in the wrong place in the wrong direction. Some of you need to hear that today because we can justify little acts of disobedience because it seems like no big deal. But God gave Samson a roadmap and he's given you a roadmap as well. See, for many of us, the enemy is so good. He's cunning. He's so cunning. He'll get you to make a little compromise here and a little compromise there. This little thing is not that big of a deal. Walking through a vineyard towards, towards where the Philistines are, that's not that big of a deal. But all of a sudden, it sets things in motion. Had he not walked through it the first time, he never would have seen this girl. And had he not seen that girl, he probably wouldn't have walked through the vineyard a second time or a third time. But the enemy is good, and he knows what it takes to get you to look just a little bit in the wrong direction. Why? Because God's got a big plan for you. Whether you know it or not, whether you've claimed it or not, God has a big plan for your life. 
And so the enemy will do everything that he can to get you just to make one little compromise after another little compromise. The scripture tells us that the enemy is a lion seeking, seeking whom he may devour. I don't think it's a coincidence that it was a lion in this story. I believe that it's a sign for us that we need to understand that when we put ourselves where we shouldn't be, there's a lion that is waiting to devour us. And you may beat him in the moment, but are you setting yourself up for future failure? Some of you sit in the room and you've, you've allowed a little compromise here and a little compromise there. For some of you, it's the, it's the content that you allow yourself to watch. It's the stuff that you allow to, to come into your, into your mind. And you may go, well, it's not that big of a deal, but can I tell you, is it opening a door? Are you walking through a vineyard? Maybe you can say, I didn't eat a grape. I didn't even touch a grape. But can I tell you that, are you setting yourself up so that temptation will come your way? Some of you have, have opened up a door, whether it be, whether it be drinking or, or doing other things where you've allowed a door to open up in your life and you may go, hey, I've got complete control over it and that's totally fine. But can I tell you, are you sure you've got control over it? Because the enemy will use that door if you allow him to. One of the things that, that, that is interesting to me is to watch how, how good we are at justifying our compromises. We begin to walk things out and we begin to say, well, I'm, I'm strong enough. I'm good enough. I, can I just tell you, even as we're looking at this series and we talked a little bit about David and Goliath last week, I think we need to be reminded of this because God is not looking for the strongest man or the strongest woman because the, the scripture does say that it's in our weakness that he is strong. Yeah, is. So when you're, in a, when you're in a place where you're like, well, I can handle it. I'm strong enough. Can I tell you, you are setting yourself up for a potential failure. It's in your weakness that he is made strong. It's in those moments of saying, God, I need you and, and God guide me and, and what is your roadmap for my life? What is it that you see inside of me? So as we look at this story unfold, why would God care if he ate, if he ate grapes or if he, if he touched a carcass or if he didn't cut his hair? Why would God care about any of that? Does that make a difference in the long run? The reason is, is God saying, I want you to be different. Yeah. Because the plans I have for you are different. Yeah. The things I want to do through you are different. They're bigger. We are born again with a purpose. And God sets guides to help us be successful so that we can move from underdog to overcomer. And sometimes back and forth in our disobedience. Many of us, if you've been raised in the church or you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've had seasons in your life where you have been an underdog and it's not because God wasn't for you, it's because you left him. Yeah. It's because you've walked away to do your own thing. Yeah. It's because you decided you wanted to be the one driving. God, why don't you get in the back seat for a while? I've got this. But if you'll allow God to be in control, you will never have to be an underdog again. And over these next few weeks, one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to spend some time looking at people within our own, our own church family and how they have maybe been, in, at one point in their life, they've been the underdog, they didn't know Christ, they, they walked in a, in a way that was, was uh, not being who God's called them to be and what it looked like when they, they once were and now they are. And so over these next few weeks, you're going to hear stories from our, our church family, and I hope that they'll encourage you. Some of the stories, it's been amazing because even just the few that I've already watched, I'm blown away by the fact that, that there are people that I've known that I didn't actually know. 
that I didn't actually know what God's done inside of their lives. And so for us as believers, what we need to understand is that if you put yourself into a position where you will trust God with all your heart and with all that you are, that he is able to, to, to come against anything that stands in your way and you move from being an underdog to being who God wants you to be. Will you watch this with me? My name is Gina Welch. I've been coming to River for almost four years. I grew up in the church in Cutbank, Montana. And we, it was an Assembly of God church. And I sang in church starting from when I was four years old. And I always won all the Bible memorization contests and you know, that was, that was my family there. It was, it was a good place to be for the most part. I went to Glacier Bible Camp every summer. Um, you know, so that was my childhood. As I got older, my parents, um, their marriage was falling apart. We ended up, uh, my mom and I moved to Missoula when my parents got divorced. And we came to Missoula and we had absolutely nothing. We lived in a tent. And so my first real taste of poverty at that time. And then the first summer that I came back to visit my dad, he had some guys, some kind of distant relatives of his staying at his house, and they were inappropriate with me. Just, they were just gross, like groping comments that they would make. Um, and I decided to tell my dad that this was happening. And he got really shaky and angry. And, and for a split second, I thought it was gonna be the proper amount of outrage that this was happening. And he was angry at me for saying these things about his friends. And that is when I lost faith in my earthly father. And I had a hard time not translating that to God in some way. And fast forward to when I was 14, I uh, met this guy outside school and he was super flattering and asked if he could give me a ride home. And I was totally naive and very flattered. And I said yes, and he drove me super far up into the mountains where I could not get away from him, and he raped me. Uh, burned me with a cigarette, and I came home from that and didn't tell anybody, because I thought it was my fault. After that happened, I became fully bulimic very quickly and I became addicted to that behavior. I still managed to get a fair amount of things done. Yeah, I did really well in school. Um, I got my degree in nursing. And for a while there, it almost looked like things were gonna look up for a little bit because uh, I had met the man that was my first husband. We were living in Minnesota and I had a little church that I was going to that I really liked and uh, and then we had our first son and he had a cleft lip and palate. Um, 
when that was found on the ultrasound, they actually asked me if I wanted to abort him. And I was like, no, 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 no. However, um, it was really rough. It was rough for a long time. He was in pain all the time. He had surgeries. And I really started to get, you know, slide back into this depression and some of my old behaviors. And looking at my little baby boy and that much pain and suffering, it really had me start to question God. When I look back on it now, I think that at the time that felt less painful to me to believe that God just wasn't there than, than that he didn't care about me, that he didn't care about my depression, that he didn't care about my bulimia, my alcohol use, my pain, my son's pain. And so I became a full-blown, very active atheist and remained so for a long time, about 10 years. I actually was one of the co-founders of Missoula Area Secular Society, which is a secular group in Missoula that still is active to this day. Obviously, I am <laughs> associated with them in no way anymore. Things only went downhill in my life in that time. Um, depression, full force, eating disorder, full force, alcohol, and I destroyed my marriage with my selfishness, um, my lack of respect for my marriage, my lack of integrity. I, I take ownership of that. Um, and then a time happened that it was, that I refer to as the worst three years of my life. Um, in the space of three years, my stepfather died, my father died, my mother died, I got divorced. And then I was into a relationship with my now husband, um, which at the beginning was not a good thing. I was an atheist. He had his own reasons for being mad at God. He was mad at God enough that he didn't care that I was an atheist. So we were both horribly, horribly hurt people trying to bandage ourselves with the other one. Purposefully, actually, we got pregnant with Thea, um, as many of you know, sweet Thea. And while I was pregnant with her, some things happened that uh, made me not want to be in that relationship anymore and uh, actually put me in the spot where I didn't want Thea at that time. <laughs> but where that put me was in the deepest depression I've ever experienced. So there was many a sleepless night where I would just lay there and think about that I just wanted to die. I was, I was done. But I, the thing that saved me from that is that I, I wouldn't do that to my kids. I, I vowed to myself, you know, I, I wouldn't, I had two sons and I couldn't bear to think of letting them have a mom who killed herself. So, and I couldn't do that to the baby 
that I was carrying. And, and so I, I felt like I was completely trapped. I couldn't even get out of the situation I was in. And I was laying there in bed one night, just lamenting that I was so trapped, so miserable, so done with my life. And I heard the softest, most gentle voice. And it said, I'm still here. And <laughs> in my prideful place I was in, my knee-jerk reaction to that was, huh, no, you're not. You're like, <laughs> like I've, I've decided that you're not here. <laughs> but that was the turning point. And it didn't happen all at once. I, I kind of slowly started to think about God again. I got my Bible out that even though I, you know, for 10 years was like, I don't believe in God, I still I couldn't throw it away. I still had it. And uh, every step that I took back in the direction of following God was rewarded with a little bit of lift of depression, a little bit of lift of some of the hopelessness that I was feeling. And eventually I got to a point where I wasn't just walking on a path back to God, I was running. And uh, I live right behind the church for those of you that don't know. And, and I had a day where I was like, well, I live right next to a church. It couldn't be that easy, could it? <laughs> and so I, uh, came to River. And right away, as soon as I walked through these doors, it, it felt different. And, and I was like, yeah, I like it here. I snuck in and out of church and didn't talk to anybody for the first year that I came here. I would sit and listen to the sermon and sob the whole time. <laughs> and then I would leave. Um, but then I started getting more involved. I, I signed up to be a greeter and then I started doing worship and then I started volunteering at clothing closet every week and every step of more involvement that I've had here has had it, it, it none of it's ever been a mistake I've always been glad that I've done every one of them and um River's been just so instrumental in in deepening my relationship with God and my turning back to the Lord also brought my husband back. We have now, and, and for several years now, have had God in the middle of our relationship and it is by far the best it's ever been. And I'm certain that we would not have stayed together if that had not happened. So every day, I am so grateful. I am, for the first time in my adult life, free of depression, free of eating disorder, free of addiction to alcohol, free of self-hatred. And I am so thankful every day that even though I spent so long actively denying God. He was there the whole time.
And all I needed to do was be willing to reach out and meet him. And when I did that, he was there. He saved me. And I'm so grateful. So if you're feeling lost in that way, I guarantee you, God loves you. He is there. If you're just willing to reach out your hand. Will you close your eyes for just a moment? As I was watching that earlier today, again, I was just thinking about <clears throat> that still small voice. That through all of that, and even through Gina coming to a place where she said, not only do I not want to believe in God, I'm going to actively, I'm going to acti actively proclaim that to Missoula. <clears throat> but God just waited. He saw her, he loved her. And that same God, that still small voice, that same God sees you and loves you. Maybe you sit in the room today or maybe you're watching in Star Valley or online and you find yourself in a position where you have, have not actively pursued God. You have put him on the back burner. You've decided I'm gonna pursue my own things. I'm gonna chase after what makes me feel good or what makes me happy. And I want you to know that that same God is saying to you today, I'm, I'm still here. I see you and I love you and I care for you. That same God has plans and dreams for you. So today as we, as we wrap up this time together, I just want to ask this question. If you're in the room today and you'd say, you know, Jason, I would like to say yes to Jesus. I want to have a right relationship with him. As you hear even Gina talk about what a transformation that was, not only in her life, but in her family's life. You have the opportunity in this moment right now to say yes to Jesus. It's not about religion. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about saying, I want relationship with him. I want to let him in. I want him to be a part of my journey. And if that's you today with no one else looking around, would you just do me a favor and lift up your hand and catch my eye? I just want to pray with you. Okay, bud. Yep. Thank you, sir. I see you back there. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Good work, girls. Yeah, I see you way back there. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. Is there anyone else tonight that would just say, Jason, will you remember me in this closing prayer? I want that peace. I love that we sang that earlier on. Hello, peace. Hello, love. Hello, hope. Hello, joy. It's accessible. God wants it for you. Is there anyone else that you just put your hand in the air and let me see it and I want to pray with you before we leave this gathering together. Yeah, yeah. Good job, ladies. Take one more moment. Is there anyone else? Yeah. Okay, girls. Tonight we're going to just wrap this up and I want to just pray this prayer and I'm going to ask everybody, whether you raised your hand or you didn't, will you just repeat this prayer with me? It's this moment where we're saying, God, I, I know that I need you. 
I know that I, I want you. I want relationship with you. For some of you, you've been fighting this because you want to be in control, but tonight you have the opportunity to say, God, I'm, I'm putting you in control because I want your peace. I want your plan. I want the life that you have for me instead of this life that I've created for myself. So I'm going to ask everybody in the room if you'll just repeat this prayer. And if you mean what you're saying, it changes everything. It brings him in. It brings him to a place where you're saying, you are now the Lord of my life. So let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. I thank you that you see me and you care for me. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to be who you need me to be. God, I invite your peace into my heart. I invite your joy. Most importantly, I invite you into my life. Help me to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give those a round of applause who raised their hand tonight and prayed that prayer? I really feel as though as we close out this time, the worship team's gonna lead us in a little bit more worship. There'll be opportunity in these moments that maybe you need to come and you need to say, God, I have been compromising in some areas. God, I've been walking through the vineyard. I've been putting myself into positions that I shouldn't be putting myself in. And tonight I wanna surrender. I wanna come back to the calling that you have for me. God has big plans for you. The enemy is a liar and he'll trick you. He'll make you think a little compromise here and a little compromise there is not a big deal. But what he wants you to do is he wants you to just keep walking that road because it will lead to destruction. So tonight's a night to just say, God, will you, will you help me? Give me discernment. Help me to see things that I shouldn't participate in. Help me to pay attention and help me to be who you're asking me to be. I'm going to pray over you. The worship team is going to lead us in some more worship. The altars are open. If you want to just come and kind of solidify that with God tonight, I think that would be amazing. So God, I just thank you so much. Because God, you not only love us, but you designed us. You have plans and dreams and desires for us. God, they're bigger than us. So Father, I just come against the schemes of the enemy right now. And I pray, God, for those of us in the room who find ourselves in a season where we've allowed compromise to seep in. I pray that, God, tonight would be a night where we shut that valve, where we turn back to where we're supposed to be, and, God, we begin to listen for your voice again. Praise you for that, and I pray that you would raise up a church, a generation of people who will stand firm on your word, who will not give in, who will not give up. God, I pray for those who are battling depression tonight, even as Gina was talking about that. God, I pray that tonight would be a night where, they, where we'll be able to hand that off to you and trust you with it. God, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and worship with us? The altars are open. Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. 
If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolnt.com. Thanks.